Happy Wednesday, everybody. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Shell Penzel Performance Line. And uh, hopefully we give you some fun sports talk, some interesting convos. We have nothing to report on anything else that's going on in this country, as major as that may be. Nothing to know yet. Nothing to be said about it yet. Uh, but we can say something about our preseason divisional and playoff NFL picks. That's where we're going to start uh, looking back since we're now at the midway point. You can chime in on how terrible or fantastic our predictions were uh, as a part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz is where you can um, give us your booze and your congrats for what we're about to dive into. Fitz, it's the Wednesday after week eight, so Right at the midway point, are you excited or uh, uh, trepidatious about our our adventure back to the beginning of of the season and what we thought might happen? Well, I feel like since the only conference that matters is the AFC, this is going to go really well for me. Oh, I see. You're feeling much more. <laughs> let's start there. Then. If you're feeling more confident about the AFC, let's go ahead and start there. Uh, we we had some similar picks when it comes to division winners there. We both had the Bills in the AFC East. Woo! So far, so good. Six and two. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Six and two atop the AFC East. Uh, we'll get to the wild cards later. So let's continue on and continue to pat ourselves on the back. In the AFC North, we both selected the Ravens. Yeah, mm. we're on a roll. Can't stop us. Going well, to try and contain us. I it's a decent pick, but the Steelers are atop the AFC North at 7-0, and and the Ravens are 5-2, and two, so they're certainly not out of it at the halfway point. But I don't think we could be patting ourselves on the back just yet for that pick. Wait right? till you see the NFC. I mean, the NFC. Okay, for, so you're like, going right, to be excited about just being close? That's uh, what yeah, we're doing here. We're I mean, setting ourselves yeah. up that much. Okay, so you are right, and and absolutely, I think, you know, we'll get into some of the wild card picks. But the Ravens, I, I thought the Ravens were going to pick up a little bit more where they left off. And uh, we would feel much better about that pick if we'd done this exercise a week ago than we do today. Yeah. Obviously, coming off of a Steelers win. I will say this, though. The Ravens gave themselves every opportunity to win that football game, so I don't feel bad about the pick because I still believe in Baltimore. I'm just not sure that uh, we'll see how the Steelers go. They're going to have to trip up now. Now they need a little help for the Ravens to win this division, but I still do believe in Baltimore. That's why I feel good about the pick. At least I feel sound about the logic and how it's played out so far. Well, I know you talked a lot about quarterbacks last night. We're going to get into it a little bit later. Matt Castle's going to join us, but one of the interesting things is how quickly people are hopping off the Lamar Jackson train. Um, and saying, I would rather have Herbert, I would rather have this guy. Um, that's a big thing to keep an eye on is the development of Lamar Jackson. And is he still the guy that can do amazing things to to get those Ravens back in front? Okay, AFC South. Uh, we had mixed opinions on this. I went with the Texans, which unfortunately was not a great pick. They are currently one in six. Uh, you... Yeah, that wasn't great. You went with the Titans at five and two. They currently sit atop the AFC South. Solid pick from you. 
I, They're tied with the Colts, but I'm giving it to you. Well, thank you. And I, look, I, I would love to sit here and say, well, the Texans are who who I thought they would be. I that that is true. <laughs> but I also said that the Colts would be a dumpster fire, and I still don't believe in Philip Rivers. The Colts have proven to be far better than I expected them to be with Philip Rivers. So you know they are five and two, and to be real, they have every shot at this division because I'm not sure. I've tried to be all in on the Titans because I believe in the talent of the Titans and I believe in Mike Vrabel. But uh, as I've said a couple of times, I feel like in the last few days the Titans play up to tough opponents. They play down to bad uh, to bad teams. That's not a good place to be in in this year. So I actually feel a little bit more nervous about the Titans holding off the Colts than I do, for example, the Ravens' ability to continue to contend at least for the top of the division. So yeah, I'm, there's some I, questions about the Titans for sure, especially on defense and their ability to pressure quarterbacks and some interesting shakeups at the trade deadline. Um, Beasley out. He hadn't done much, but that's a lot of money to spend in a very short trigger. Yeah, and they. I love admitting the mistake. That's something we talked to Chris Mortensen about last night. But uh, at the same time, they got to get better defensively. So they they have told us they think it's the players, not the coach. I'm not sure that Mike Vrabel is going to be able to avoid the heat, though, if they can't find a way to play better defensively than yeah, they have. Absolutely. Uh, last one uh, in the AFC West. We both went with the Chiefs, and we both are looking good. It's seven and one atop that division. Uh, so successful choice there. Let's move to the NFC. Uh, we both had the Cowboys atop the NFC East. Can we get that sound again? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's uh, perfect for both our pick and for that division in general, and especially for the Cowboys. Two and six right now. Now the Eagles are three and four atop the division, so um, it's not that much of a difference. I mean, I really can't that tell. Behind, that, like that sound effect, I want to believe it's a that, wet fart. It's it's a it might be a shark. No, I I, I want to believe that somebody actually farted into the mic. Like yeah, it sounds like, too perfect to have been real. recreated by a mouth. Like that is that is an actual like you can't until somebody can prove otherwise. That's an actual fart noise. I don't Someone care what anyone went says. Went into the booth and immediately had to go change their pants. After that <laughs> like they got the sound. Sorry. <laughs> they got the sound they needed, but they they immediately had to go make make a change. I'm just imagining what that moment's like too in the studio. You get in there, they're like, "Okay, so we're gonna need a really wet fart sound." Yeah, you, yeah. but yeah. okay. And you get the fist pump because you, you got the take you needed. Uh, but you know the the good vibes go away pretty quick when you realize, yeah, yeah. Thank you. you got more. Was a couple of fist pumps more. actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy. Oh, boy. Oh, we're already off the rails, and we just got started. NFC North, um, I had the Packers atop that. You went with the Vikings, who are 2-5, and five, dead last in the division. Well, but you know what? Dalvin Cook's on a roll. Right, Dalvin Cook's on a roll, and suddenly That's the, what we're the Vikings. Going with here? I, no, I, I don't even feel like I feel <laughs> I feel dirty even saying it at this point. Like this is like me trying to tell my friends I'm actually eating kale. Like that's where I feel like I right, am right now. Right, like it's right. we all know it's not true. It's all a lie. Uh, the NFC South. We both had the Saints on top. They're five and two, one game back of the Bucks, who are six and two. So not too bad. Plenty of time left, but the, the Bucks are looking strong. Obviously, uh, uh, looking like a better team than the Saints. Yeah, the eye test, as we all talk about. But let's keep in mind, the Saints have gotten here without Michael Thomas, right? So maybe there's a little bit of hope for Saints fans that yeah. if Michael Thomas comes back and doesn't punch any more teammates and actually gets on the field, <laughs> that you know they'll be better. 
The NFC West, we both went with the Seahawks, and the Seahawks are indeed atop the NFC West at 6-1. and one. The surprising Cardinals, 5-2, and two, and the Rams, 5-3. and three. The Niners are in dead last at 4-4. Four and four. That is by far the best division, which brings me to our wild cards, and I want to pat myself on the back because I had two wild card teams coming out of the NFC West. I had the Niners and the Rams, the one, of course, I left out, the Cardinals, Sitting at five and two, not too shabby. You also had uh, San Francisco as your wild card in the NFC West, uh, starting to rethink their pl- position there with all the injuries. Yeah, I feel like maybe that was a bit of a swing and a miss, uh, <laughs> you know. And and maybe I didn't give the Cardinals enough credit. Uh, I'd love to blame it on the injuries, but I don't think even if the 49ers were healthy, they'd be what we thought they were going to be coming into yeah. the year. Speaking of swings and misses, uh, you had the Falcons as a wild card team. The uh, Two and six Falcons. Hey, that's uh, not fair. That's a really good pick. You just don't realize it because they don't have a lot of wins. That's just like the Jets. Uh, they're a really good team. We just don't know it because they haven't won any games. But they got some guys out there. Uh, the Bucks were my wild card pick. I feel great about that one, to be honest with you. Uh, I got the Titans wild card, feeling good. Steelers wild card, feeling great. Patriots wild card, hmm. That one, maybe not so much. The Patriots sitting at two and five, uh, looking for answers. Uh, other than that, I'm feeling great about my wildcard picks. Now, you've got the Steelers and Browns, both solid choices for wildcards. Uh, the Browns sitting at five and three. Steelers, of course, seven and zero. Oh. You've got your Raiders. How do you feel about your Raiders playoff chances? Well, at the time, I said the Raiders were going to start two and four and still make the playoffs. So the fact that they started three and three. Got a bonus game, Sarah. Yeah, I feel great about the playoff and chances. And, uh, All right. All right. Keeping in mind, Eagles? easiest How about schedule. the Eagles wild card pick that uh, you made? I, I, did I pick the Eagles? You did. You no. picked two teams to come out of the NFC East. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, the most embarrassing of every pick we made, was that you picked two teams to come out of the NFC East. You know what? I, I look at the AFC, and I think I was spot on in the right mindset on my, my playoff teams across the board. How is it possible that I got so much right in the AFC oh, yeah. and so little right yeah. in the NFC? Maybe you all should watch a little bit more NFC football. All in all, not too shabby. I'm proud of us. We could do a lot worse. Of course, we still have another half of the season to go. Coming up, we're going to get into that half of the season. The Niners COVID test, Matt Stafford back on the watch list, and what could trigger postseason changes. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Recall that Matt Stafford was on the reserve COVID-19 list earlier this year. It turned out to be a false positive. He and his wife both frustrated by the way they presented that information and set him up as someone who had tested positive and released it. Well, now he's back on it, but this time he's a high-risk close contact of a non-team member who tested positive, according to Adam Schefter. So he still has a chance to come off that list and play against the Vikings if he gets five straight days of negative tests. He is one of several players across the league that are dealing with this yet again, including the Niners, who are already killed by injuries and now have a COVID-19 issue, had to shut down their facility today. And uh, wide receiver Kendrick Bourne has tested positive but is asymptomatic. They now go through the process of testing everybody else. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. I was off last night, and Chris Mortensen came on to talk about his report that there may be contingency plans for the postseason. Fitz, when you hear about the Niners and the Lions, and it feels like every week is going to be a different team dealing with this, how likely is it that there will be something that triggers a completely different postseason than we've ever seen before? I think they're going to have to figure something out. The problem is you don't make a contingency plan thinking that you're going to have to use it basically 48 hours before it's proposed for the first time. So... 
you know, that's the most difficult thing. And Sarah, it really hit me for the league that has been so, remember at the beginning of free agency when everybody said maybe the, the optics aren't the best of dishing out hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts and everybody said, nope, we're doing it. And the draft started and it was like, well, look at all these communication issues. And it's like, nope, we're doing it. This is the first time the league has come out and really acquiesced. Hey, we got to have a contingency plan. And now to see them in a situation where these two teams are, are possibly, you know, needing that so quickly is, I think, a little jarring to me. It's a little alarming, and it's a reminder that nothing's safe now. I mean, now that there are no open weeks, there are no bye weeks left, I, I know they can add games at the end of the season, but if they're talking about playoff expansion, it's because they don't want to do that. So I think the league is definitely, at this point, pinned up with a back against the wall. The question is, how do they react to it? And that's not an well, easy question. Let me ask you about this, because obviously – what you talked to Mortensen about, and we'll play that in a minute, was specifically the the expanded playoffs and the possibility for sort of changing the way that they went down in order to accommodate teams not having the same number of games, everything else. What you're saying is putting it into place immediately. What do you mean by that? Changing the schedule, rejiggering who teams play so that they face important division opponents? What do you mean by putting it into play right away less than 48 hours after it was proposed? Well, it's been proposed to expand to 16 teams, but it hasn't been voted on yet. So the owners have right. to go in and vote on it. And so all I'm saying is that you're voting on your worst case scenario uh, okay, saying like, so if you we mean, need this. You mean this. voting to approve this immediately, not that it changes any of the games or right. plans immediately. Right. And, and to I don't your think point, you need to vote right now, although the problem is the later you get into it, the more it then will be affected by teams who are in or out, sort of like at the end of a fantasy season when someone stops trying and you get them at the right week because they don't you know, take the buys out of their schedule. If you get a bunch of teams who have already figured out that they're in or out, that might affect their voting. Yeah, and, and which is a great point, by the way. And, you know, this all also becomes difficult because think about draft seeding. I mean, as you talk about playoff expansion, if you look now at, for example, like Tankathon or one of those sites that does a nice job of telling us who would draft where, the Eagles, because they're going to make the playoffs, would actually draft after teams that have a better record than Philadelphia. So making the Eagles or making the playoffs hurts the Eagles in the draft next year. If they expand the playoffs, are teams going to want to be a part of hurting their draft stock, essentially, to make the playoffs as a trash team? I, I mean, there are some layers of complication, but I think even if you're looking at it and saying, hey, guys, we're, we're figuring out a safety net. It's like establishing a new savings account. And you're saying, OK, we're going to have this big savings account. God forbid we need it. And then like a day later, you wake up and say, oh, the entire plumbing system has gone down in the house. We now need this right now. So then what? Are they going to have a second safety net they'll have to figure out? Or how's the league going to adjust to that? So I think that's the interesting you know, part where the league starts to have a little bit of a feel of panic without bye weeks that they can continue to shift to. Fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests appear on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of the Shell Penzo Performance Line, let's get right to it. Where we are joined by Luke Fickle, head coach of the number six Cincinnati Bearcats on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Coach, I've been a champion for Cincinnati at this point. We're trying to figure out who the fourth best team in the country is. Cincinnati looks incredible. Let's start with the simplest part of this. For anyone that hasn't watched your team, what's come together so quickly to make this team so special? Well, I think all three phases of the game um, has really kind of stepped up um, the maturity level this in year four that we've been here. And, and you know, having a quarterback in his third year of starting really kind of helps and, and gives a lot of confidence to a lot of people around him. So I think at the beginning of the year, we were still trying to find ourselves. But I think, you know, through the last few weeks, uh, through a lot of these adverse situations we've had in the last six months, we've matured a lot and we found a way to you know, kind of put all three phases of the game together, and uh, we're playing pretty well right now. 
Yeah, and it's not like you've come on as a surprise. 11 wins in the last two seasons. How much do you think that buoys your ranking and the respect that you're getting for what you're doing this year? Well, you you got to you got to start someplace. Um, you know, at least in the talk in order to probably get where we are already. Um, it's just a reality, you know. You're not one of the blue yeah. blood programs that that, you know, are are going to uh, be noticed maybe um or always, and I think so for us to have had the last two seasons to go into the season, you know, at least being ranked um, and be, you know, somewhat of somebody that has been talked about. And then obviously the situation where a lot of Big Ten schools weren't in there. So I think it gave us a little bit more notoriety. Um, and then obviously, you know, you got to play well. But I think if you don't start in the realm, it's going to be hard to get yourself um, to where we are uh, at this point in time. We're talking to Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I mean, let's also be honest, UCF has had a lot of attention for the conference, and now Cincinnati take takes over a lot of that attention. How much pressure is there on you guys to represent your conference that's wanted so badly to be in the college football playoff conversation? Well, you know, those 18 to 20 tours, I don't think they think a whole lot about the conference representation. I know it's <laughs> awesome. Um, they've got plenty of uh, other things that are on their mind. Uh, but I think for, for us in general, I think there's a lot of really good football. We've seen that in the last few years. Uh, but I think, you know, you just got to continue to do what you do. And no matter what, uh, to be in the conversation is one thing, but to actually be there when the when it goes down to the to the final wire, I think is what our conference really wants, what we want, obviously, as a football program. Um, and then that's what's kind of lasts. You know, if, if you can't finish the the thing and, and put yourself at least in the conversation as you get into the last few weeks of the season. Um, it's really a viewpoint. So, you know, we're only halfway there and know we got a lot more to go, um, but excited about where we are. Coach, since the CFP's first season in 2014, there hasn't ever been a group of five teams selected to participate in the playoff. You have five <laughs> games left. What do you realistically think your team has to do to be selected? Well, I don't try to look at, I mean, if you really look at the college football playoffs, how many outside of the blue blood programs, the top, you know, 2% programs, I think every year, maybe there's a wild card, you know, there's Washington's made it once Michigan state's made it once. Um, who else? So re- to me, regardless of whether you're, you know, uh, uh, not in the, one of the four or five conferences, I think in general, I think we should be talking about all those programs that are kind of the wild card for every year. I, I don't. I just hate to sing, single out the the people that are outside the, so to speak. I don't say the the word the, with the P and the the five on it. Uh, <laughs> that's not a, that's not something that's you know allowed to be said in our program. Um, I just think for college football in general um, to see some of those teams that you know are really kind of making a name for themselves, whether whatever conference they're in, but they haven't been historical programs to be in the college football playoff I think is a big deal and I don't think we're any different than you know maybe the Washington that got in one year the Michigan State that got in another year I think that uh, it's a great thing for college football obviously it's a great thing for our program uh, but we want to look at ourselves in the realm of just like all those others when you talk safe to say in your practice then you just say Voldemort instead of the they who shall not be named is that how we is that how we We do not refer to it I I actually asked the guys at ESPN two years ago when they came out to our league meetings why do we say that what who made that up and and (laughs) what does it designate it's not like it it really means anything nobody gets a direct bid into the college football playoffs it's like the big brothers made this name up to 
say we're we're above some of the others when in reality it's just a name. You know, the crazy thing is as much college football as I cover here, I never really thought about why it's always called that. So now I'm going <laughs> to dig into it, Coach. That's what we're going to do. Thank you. I mean, does it not, like, at some point you're messaging with your guys, though, because there's a perception that you don't have as much wiggle room because certain programs get more love when they lose a game. Uh, does that not change some of the intensity that you guys approach week to week with? Well, I, again, I don't want to throw any more on them. I mean, they understand what they've got to do. Our first goal is to play for a championship and we haven't done that yet we did that last year we didn't win it so i think that's where the thing whole starts and if we can put ourselves in a position where we can play for a championship we have a chance to do some other things as well um but it's got to start someplace first and to throw all the other things on top of it is not necessary for us i think our guys understand that i don't want to be with them naive coaches i know they know what's going on <laughs> i know they know where we are um but I hope they don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what it is we got to do um, to get to the next level as opposed to just, hey, keep winning. And no it. matter what, you have to be playing your best ball at the end of the year. And I, and I mean that for any team. It could be whoever. I mean, if you're Texas or Oklahoma and you got one loss, you probably don't have much of a chance. They have a better chance than us. Um, but outside of them, you could be a Kansas State or be a – Iowa State or, or anybody else, you probably don't have a chance unless you, you know, have a you know run the table. But uh, we got a long way to go. We we understand that. I think we don't need a whole lot of other motivation. Uh, this is a older, mature group um, that knows what they want to play for. Was there a different air around everybody? Knowing Memphis had knocked you guys out of the conversation a couple of times of late. You go in and you just thump Memphis last weekend. I mean, has there been sort of a a, a reaction to that in the locker room from the guys? Well, you know, we're not allowed to have a whole lot of reactions in locker rooms because of COVID. <laughs> and, and <laughs> not allowed to celebrate. Not, uh, you know what? I, I think there is a confidence level. I, I like to look at it more as a maturity level. Uh, but I think there is a, a confidence level. Um, you know, now we haven't had that around here. And, and we got to be careful. So, you know, as me as a coach, I'm kind of looking at it in the other way. And it's okay. I love confidence, but I don't like overconfidence. So you've got to find a way to have some balance. And I really believe and hope that the maturity of the guys that have been in this program, especially the ones that were here four years ago when we you know, probably only should have won one game um, that season, they understand what it takes and, and how fragile it can be um, to kind of be the, the people that keep the message going uh, throughout our program. Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You mentioned you don't want to add something to their plate between the election yesterday <laughs> and COVID and uh, what's been a, a very wild and weird season for a lot of other teams. Uh, how different has this season been for you versus the success you had over the last two years without all those extra distractions? Don't forget social injustice because that's yes. mm-hmm. something that is we talk about every single day, meaning there are other opponents that we don't even see you know, from COVID and the social injustice, not just – uh, this week with Houston or last week with Memphis or the week before with SMU, those opponents are, are more fun to attack because you can see them and, and, and work to, to defeat them. The other ones are still out there. So it is a crazy, unique year. Um, I think it was a very difficult camp for us just because of all of the things that were going on um, when the Big Ten folded being in the Midwest and Big Ten country. I think it was really uh, tough on our guys, just not knowing what was going to happen. Um, so it's been such an emotional roller coaster that whoever can handle it, 
meaning us, our team, but also throughout the country, whoever can handle that emotional roller coaster without a lot of opportunities to unwind. Because think about it, as an 18 to 22 year old, I don't want to say what I was doing <clears throat> on Saturdays after games. Um, but imagine just the ability to unwind as a college student or football player, and now you don't have those opportunities just because of all the different things are going on. So I think the ability to kind of maintain um, throughout this entire season is going to be really unique. We've already had a lot of those things through, through camp in the first five weeks, uh, but it's not going to go away. You guys can check out the game, obviously, coming up Saturday. They play Houston. That's on ABC at 3.30 Eastern. Coach, congrats. It's fun to watch this team play. It's fun to watch the success you're having in Cincinnati. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, it definitely is fun to be a part of it, and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, Coach, since you don't seem like you're in a rush, one last quick one from a <laughs> Michigan fan. Uh-oh. Just out of curiosity, I know you're happy at Cincinnati. I know you turned down Michigan State. But in the future, would your allegiance to Ohio State and any rivalries make a decision for you about where you coach, or is it all based on other things? No, it's, this is, it's based on my family and what is uh, what is best? I'm a Cincinnati Bearcat. Saying Bear there's Cat, a chance, and uh, <laughs> and I'm happy um, doing what I do. But it's a lot about my family, and and uh, that's kind of the way I've always kind of gone about it. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Great stuff from him. Pennzoil Synthetic Motor Oils made from natural gas gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. All this college football talk coming up next. What if one playoff contender decides to just shut down the season right now? It could happen. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And we're going to get straight to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless because we've been talking a lot of college football tonight, Sarah. And uh, obviously, we just had the chance to talk to Cincinnati head coach Luke Fickle. I made the statement a couple he of times. It, he kept it open that he could go to Michigan and replace him. <laughs> he didn't shut that down. He's saying there's a chance. I mean, he did say that rivalry wouldn't play a factor yeah. in his. Uh, I, I will say this uh, a couple of things. One, I've, I've gone out on record saying right now, if I had a vote, I would put Cincinnati in at number four. And, uh, that that's because they've looked that good and because nobody else really has stepped in and taken that. But the other thing is, I mean, we, we talked a little in that interview with Sarah, but to your point, he had the opportunity at the Michigan State job. Everybody thought he was going to take it because of his relationship with the previous coach. And then he turned it down to stay at Cincinnati, which to me says, I know I'm going to make a statement and I know I can get a bigger job than Michigan State. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about making Sparty mad, turning down Sparty to turn around and take the and maize and blue and make your alma mater of Ohio State mad, but would be a great job for him. Oh my God. I, yeah, I can't even, I, I can't even wrap my head around how Michigan State fans would feel about that, how Ohio State fans would feel about that. But there's one other team, you know, there are a couple of teams in the college football landscape that feel like they deserve a shot at the number four spot. If you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Wisconsin belongs on that list because they're a team with really high expectations. They got better than expected quarterback play from essentially their backup quarterback in week one, and then COVID-19 hit. And there's an interesting concept out there at this point. Uh, Dan Patrick reporting that Wisconsin might shut down the football season altogether if they can't get to six games. For anybody that doesn't know, you have to get to six games in the Big Ten to play in the Big Ten uh, championship game. So Wisconsin looking at it saying, if we don't have a shot at the Big Ten championship game, and by nature no shot at the playoffs, maybe we just shut this whole thing down. And that's surprising to me from a playoff caliber team, Sarah. Completely surprising. Um, But it's not just if we can't finish, there's no reason to play 
because we're not going to win. It's not, oh, we're only playing for the playoffs and we're out of here. It's that uh, the COVID disaster is is spreading and getting uncontrollable in Wisconsin. Um, it's not just on the team. It's the state itself. And, and part of Dan Patrick's report from a source was actually not just that they would shut down the, the, the season, but Camp Randall might be a field hospital uh, because of the spiking cases. I'll tell you, back in July, uh, my husband and I went camping up in Wisconsin. And by this point, everyone's wearing masks. Everyone's distant. Well, not everyone. The people are being told and everybody who's smart is wearing masks and distancing. We went to Wisconsin and we left the campground one day and drove down to the to the river to this bar that had this you know bar on the dock. And we didn't go in the entire bar, 80 plus people, everyone who worked there included not a single mask, not one completely packed with people, everyone working there, everyone there. We sat on a picnic table down the dock and just watched everyone and thought to ourselves, like, what's happening? It feels like we're not even in a pandemic. And it slowly, slowly grew. And now the fact that they're considering not only the season ending, but that they would need to use their facilities for something like a field hospital uh, tells you just how serious it is up there. Yeah. And to that end, you got to look at it and say a couple of things. One, college football fans uh, right now, if you're in Wisconsin, have to be heartbroken at the thought that they may not get to watch their favorite team play, but also have to be heartbroken that they they or their friends and family or people in their immediate circles did nothing to try and get this all under control. And then the other part of it is a, is a reminder that the college football community talks so much about whether or not the games are going to be played and media talks so much about whether or not the games are going to be played when realistically government is going to have a huge say in this yep. decision. I mean, and, and by government, I mean local municipalities coming in and saying, hey, I don't really give a damn about your wants for a conference title or for a shot at a national championship. And in this particular year, Wisconsin has a shot of both of those things. I do think Ohio State's better, but they've got a shot at both of those things, a conference championship and a national championship. And they may, may not even get the opportunity to play. It has nothing to do with what you and I say. It has everything to do with Wisconsin looking around as a, as a state saying, hey, we're going to decide what we're good with, and it's not playing football. Yeah, and I don't know how that works because I know in certain places they're starting to veer back towards not having groups larger than 10. In Illinois, coming up again soon, it's going to be no indoor dining in certain areas. Um, Right now, actually, in Illinois, the governor and the Illinois High School Association are in a very public fight over whether to delay or proceed with winter sports. Pritzker told everyone that basketball was considered high risk and they would put the start of it on hold. And the IHSA just decided they didn't care. They said they were going to go ahead with their plan anyway. Basketball is going to start in November. Now they're fighting publicly. I don't know if someone in Wisconsin would say to them, you can't keep competing, and whether with the season already begun, there would be so much pressure to just keep going. Well, that's going to be the, like, where's the line, right? What power does do athletics have in that conversation? Because certainly there are enough people behind uh, the movement to want to play. There's enough dollars and cents in places that care a lot about sports for pressure to be given. The question is, how does everyone handle it and what happens next? I well, mean- and also th- there's liability, right? There is there is some sort of out if everyone's on the same page and you decide to move forward and presidents and chancellors and everyone votes. But what if the state tells you not to do it and you do it anyway? Then what's the liability? What 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 do those family members of people who get sick or or worse, you know, what then happens? Because I think that happened in in Indiana. One of the earliest outbreaks in Indiana was at a was at a basketball game back in March, and several people there died. 
And then there was the liability of why are you continuing to play when other places weren't? And would these people have died if not? And, and to, to, to go up against government and run the risk of then your school being at risk of lawsuits and otherwise, that's that's a real risk, too. Yeah. And that comes back to one thing that we talked about when everybody was trying to figure out whether or not to play. And, you know, the phrase that everybody uses is plausible de- deniability. But mm-hmm. I feel like I've said this a thousand times in the last six months, and it bears repeating again. At some point, people are going to have to answer for the decision to play if uh, outbreaks continue. And, and, and when I mean answer, I don't mean answer to you or me. I mean answer to depositions because as we see long-term effects to everybody, yes, it becomes difficult to prove where somebody got it. But if you see massive outbreaks, the attorneys we've talked to have said a few times that, yes, there will be uh, there'll be opportunity if, God forbid, this takes a turn for the worst, and then they're going to have to turn around and justify why they made the decision to play. I would think if I'm a chancellor of a university that, that having to justify that when medical experts within my own state and the local government are telling me I can't play and I may be putting myself in a situation where I have to to explain and justify why I decided to play anyway, that becomes a very slippery slope and a difficult one to defend on. And it's a reminder that all this is bigger than football. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the fact that we're playing football and not other sports tells you what it's about, right? So, um, and, and you have to go back and try to look at what people said and what plans they made and what promises they made about what it would look like if something like this happened, if there became an outbreak that affected a whole team, if there weren't they weren't able to play, right? Go back and find out what people were saying before and see if you apply it now, if they're following through with what they promised. Um, and, and if I'm any of the parents or people involved, I'm pretty... Uh, concerned about about safety and now what's deciding uh, making decisions for them yeah and as I always say I mean I make a lot of my living on college football I want the sport to be played but I also want people to be safe and when we're talking about a stadium having to be used possibly as a mobile hospital that tells you everything about where we are that's some straight talk straight talk wireless no contracts no compromise coming up next tomorrow morning oh well coming up next hi friend with sports radio's power couple You can usually hear them on Sundays, but you heard them earlier today in the lineup filling in. Sports Radio's power couple, Shay Cornett and Jordan Cornett, going to join us in just a second here at Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests like Sports Radio's most famous couple join us on the Shell Penzel Performance Line. And when friends of the show join us on Wednesday, they don't just join us. They do a little half ran. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got best. Jordan, I have never once told you you couldn't go on a golf trip. You take that back right now or else. Cool. So Scottsdale's on in a couple in a couple months. If you want to go and you want to fly Cut in to COVID, Cut in to COVID. Tape. No, see, I said I said post COVID. So yeah, you you're probably safe for the next few months, unfortunately. Probably safe. Take it back. Hurry up. Wow. So uh, that was actually <laughs> on the radio. We did not put a recording device in the home of Shay and Jay. They had a marital spat today, and we're going to talk our way through it before we get to Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, Shay, I know that voice. That is the voice of someone who is saying, oh, no, 
You are not going to have the world believing I'm sort of uptight wife that prevents you from doing fun things with your boys. Take that back right away. Explain to me why you jumped so quickly from radio host to angry wife in the afternoon today. Because it came out of nowhere. Like, I've somehow (laughs) become this tyrant that says you're not allowed to go anywhere or leave the house. I looked at him like, I've never once told you you couldn't go on a golf trip. I was so annoyed. And, Sarah, that's exactly what I said in the break. I go, you just made me out to be a psychotic wife. What is wrong with you? (laughs) So in the following segment then – uh, he apologized and said he was sorry. He I mean, you never let us hang out, Shay. Like, I've, you know, oh, well, here we go. Wow. Hey, hey, Fitzy, let him know. Fitz? Look, you let know what? Know. I, here's the thing. I was listening a few weeks ago <laughs> when a certain Shay may have said to Jordan that he looks good for his age. I'm just saying, <laughs> I've heard the converse thing happen, the exact opposite thing happen on a Sunday show. So I, I'm here for all of the little, like, that's that's part of the joy of listening I to you guys. Guess, I guess the, the question, Jordan, is why would you just lie like that on the radio? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's Thank a beautiful you, it's a beautiful thing to have receipts for one. <laughs> and I'm, st- I'm, I'm I'm working out some bits on the radio at points. I've been inspired oh, by watching the Comedy Store on on uh, I think it's great Showtime. Doc. Great. Yeah, Sarah, great I watch doc. it because of your tweet. So um, good. Sad it's come to an end. And I was working out a bit. It was just a joke. <laughs> she didn't bite on it. So not not only do we not have the best chemistry at times, it ha- can happen to anybody. I she often find the best jokes need out. to be explained, Cornette. Like it's not yeah. your fault. Like the best the best and, jokes. And the best in. jokes are usually ones that make your wife look bad on national radio. Oh, that yeah. is the good time to try a bit. It backfired on him big time because now it's carried over not only from the show we did earlier, which was the Max Kellerman show, to now your show. So you, now it's just you one said full I apologized, day. But you said yeah. I did apologize. I mean, did I apologize. By the way, uh, we buried the lead here. Guys, it's hi, Fran. Hey, Fran. Hey, Fran. I was wondering if we are going to get an opportunity. You we guys uh, both sounded Southern for no reason. You <laughs> turn it into you, say you turn it into, hey, hi, Franz, hey, which Fran. is not the bit. It's, hi, Fran. Hi, Fran. I can't do it without Okay, not Southern. bad. Not yeah. bad. We'll, not we'll workshop it. It's yeah. a bit, and you guys aren't there yet, okay? You're not going to make the main stage is all I have to say about that, okay? Keep showing up to open mics, and we'll see what happens. We'll work on it. Um, Jordan, we were just talking about the Wisconsin season and Dan Patrick reporting today that he heard from a source that they might just fold up on the season if, if they're not going to get that six games and, and the spread in Wisconsin so bad. Obviously, the college football season has been wild. You and I were hosting all summer long and and honestly dreading what it might look like to not sure. have the season at all. What's your reaction to how it's gone so far? I mean, anybody who says it's been a, a success – you, you kind of look at them sideways and go, well, what are, what's your measuring stick for that? Uh, because, of course, we don't fully know um, what, what the outcome long term uh, for catching this virus testing positive can mean. So I have to operate with a job to do uh, every Saturday. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, uh, is this the right move forward? And when you have moments where a Trevor Lawrence is out with COVID and it takes the headliner for people to ask some of the tough questions, uh, I go back to teams that we're covering week to week that are playing without 20 of their guys. And it's not full-on reported that it's COVID-related, but you get the sense that it may be. So I've kind of been tiptoeing through this thing. There's a great excitement, to be honest, for me covering the sport and watching these athletes do what they do. But I'd be a hypocrite not to say that there's not a big part of me that wonders uh, what we're watching every week what the long-term effects from it can be and that's just being honest i mean shay talk about that for a little second because i think that's such a real part of this Uh, we all feel it like you want to cover the sports you love but you also look around and say man i'm not sure this is best for all of the athletes involved like how do you walk that line 
Yeah, it's difficult. But really quick, I want to just touch on that Wisconsin thing because I think the Big Ten is so intriguing for so many different reasons. But what's going on with Wisconsin is unfortunate, of course, for those players and what's going on with Wisconsin. But I feel bad, and as an Indiana grad, I don't normally feel bad for Purdue. But I feel bad (laughs) for teams like Purdue and Nebraska. It's not their fault the games are canceled. So what happens with those teams going forward? Like, this seems like a bigger problem than just Wisconsin to me. This is like a Big Ten problem, and they're the ones in control of fixing this. Because if they're going to cancel these games, like, now you've got these two teams who are looking at lesser games on their schedule. And what if they run into another team? Let's just throw out their Penn State who has this issue. Like, now they're in jeopardy of not being able to compete mm-hmm. for a chip. So. I feel worse for the other schools in terms of um, feeling bad for, you know, covering a sport that we all wanted to see. And, you know, there are these COVID issues that are going on. It just makes me remember like everyone in the world, every age group, every profession is dealing with this in different ways. And it almost frustrates me that when I hear like players in the NBA and so on complaining about start schedules and things. And I'm like, look, we're all in a position where this is uncomfortable and this is, we're just trying to get through it. So please don't complain to me that you might be tired or you might not be ready for a season. Like no one is prepared to deal with this in the way that we have been so far. You know what I mean? Yeah, Shay Cornette and Jordan Cornette with us here on Spain and Fitz for Half Rand on the Shell Penzel Performance Line. You can usually hear them on Sundays, Sports Radio's Power Couple, the first married couple with the show on ESPN. Um, and now, Jordan, we can, of course, also find you covering ACC. Talk about Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, we know Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be able to play. Do you have an idea of whether Notre Dame can overtake a Clemson team without him? Well, a uh, cu- couple things here. I, 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 for one, I had a lot that I objected to that Shay just said there, but we'll have to save that for <laughs> Sunday. I, I thought there's a lot of uh, intriguing points you made there that uh, are in question. But oh. anyway, go, go, we'll save that. That'll be a little tease, a, a long, deep one for Sunday. Uh, Perfect. But now going to this matchup, I, I'm kind of curious because, Fitz, am I hearing that you're giving Notre Dame no shot in this one? Is no that shot. What I'm here? No, no shot. shot. Yeah. <laughs> now you watch a ton of college football, Sarah. I know you watch some here and there, but it's not your favorite of the sports. You mm-hmm. do your job and you watch, but you don't love the sport. That's fair to say. College football doesn't really get you going, right? That is true. That is accurate. Well, let me tell you, don't let Fitz corner you into thinking that this is not going to be a matchup <laughs> this weekend because this Notre Dame team is primed more so than they have in recent history for a number one or even a top five opponent like they are here. Going back two games, Syracuse, a one-win team, took Clemson to the third quarter late. It was a one-possession game. Clemson opened that one up later on in the fourth. Fine. Boston College took them down the stretch to the end of the game. Clemson got it done. Fine. Notre Dame is a lot better than both of those teams. Notre Dame, in my opinion, has the best defense in all of college football. You could also argue up front on the other side, they have the best offensive line in the country. They're one of the best coached teams in the country, and it's going to come down to Ian Book because they can also run the football. If Ambook can make the necessary plays in this one, I don't envision Travis Etienne, a backup quarterback who's a star but still has moments, can he do it with the constant pressure he's going to see defensively from Notre Dame in an away game where the student body will be there cheering for the Irish? I just don't know. I don't see it. You have a very quick rebuttal. 
Yeah, 28 sacks so far for the Clemson defense, 65 tackles for loss. And the last time I checked, Ian Book is inconsistent as heck. Brent Venables is going to confuse him with the looks. They're going to be able to get after him all night. Travis Etienne's going to be able to run on Notre Dame conversely. And Ian Book's going to lose them this game as it goes on because he's simply not good enough to solve a defense that disguises their coverages and their rush James better than Gowski's anybody else. James not playing. James Kowski's not playing. The quarterback of that defense, they've shown to be vulnerable in the last two games, though, Fitzy. And I wonder if that quarterback, more so than and the actual quarterback in Trevor Lawrence is going to be more of an issue. I think that's well, going to show it's it's going to rear its ugly head for the Tigers. Maybe we'll have to have y'all back on next week and you can argue about who was right. We'll definitely hear some arguing between Shea and Jay on Sunday <laughs> because he's going to take the task what she had to say about the Big Ten. Guys, thanks for being a part of Hot Fran. Bye, friends. Thanks for having us. Thanks, friends. Are you Hi, shocked friend. we went long? I mean, are you shocked I'm we went long? I'm not at all surprised. Yeah, not at all surprised. Uh, Jordan and Shay. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Speaking of college football, tomorrow morning, Maryland quarterback Talia Tagovailoa joins KJNZ at 9.05 Eastern. Coming up, lots of NFL to get to. We'll do quickies. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming in on the Spain and Fitz Nation, one of our favorites, Gail, at Gem Knitter, just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Yay for hashtag HotFran with Shay and Jay. Their Sunday game day is fantastic. Also, yay for the whole show. You two are wonderful. Thank you so much for the joy. Gail, that's nice. We need that kind of vibe, especially because I'm pretty sure that Shay and Jay are going to go argue. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. We started off, it feels like we came to a conclusion on the whole not letting him golf thing, and then he had to go in and stick his foot in his mouth at the end and say he had a lot to say about her opinions on the Big Ten. So uh, he's really just getting himself in trouble a lot today. Well, and she is right, by the way. He shouldn't go out to Scottsdale and go golfing right now. Like, I mean, she's <laughs> she does win in the Voice world of, of I don't know, common yeah. sense. Yeah, common sense. Uh, I'm downright shocked to hear that the, uh, the, the wife half of a relationship is bringing the common sense, not to stereotype, just, you know, you know how that works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of NFL news we want to get to. And when we have a lot to get to and not a lot of time, we got to do quickies. We get in and out of topics fast. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. Starting with my guy. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Uh, It was so cool. We wanted to say it twice. So, I mean, hey, everybody's down for a double quickie. (laughs) We want to make sure that we're very clear about quickies. (laughs) Very clear. You didn't get the joke the first time. There you go. Um, Josh McCown, my guy, who is at this point almost everybody's guy. He's played in a lot of places. Uh, is moving again, signing with the Texans. It's his 12th NFL franchise. He was on the Eagles practice squad this year. He played for Philly last year in a couple of games, including that memorable playoff game where at one point he just got hurt for being old. Remember, he just took a wrong step, and we were all like, that's what happens when you're 40 and trying to play football. Uh, But he was in a bubble of sorts for the Eagles, sort of that necessary guy in case they needed him. And uh, Texans went ahead and picked him up and signed him. He's now um, a backup to Deshaun Watson, A.J. McCarron, the other backup. And I'm guessing, Fitz, this is more a move to try to use him 
to impart wisdom, be a leader, help with some of the tough times with the Texans right now. Um, and also, you know, he's he's from Texas, so a good place for him to be settled with his family if he's going to be in that sort of half-in, half-out role. I, I wondered almost if it was a sympathy signing in that sense, like a let's just bring somebody because Deshaun Watson is obviously everything you could want in your quarterback. We know that, but he's also everything you could want in a leader. I mean, I I, I, to, I have a hard time figuring out what hole there would be behind the scenes in Deshaun Watson, the locker room presence too, right? So I'm not sure exactly what he adds to that other than – you know, some opportunity to come in and, and, you know, be a guy, I guess. But I mean, I agree with you, but I think when you've got a one-in-six team that has the growing pains of a new coach after, you know, Bill O'Brien and uh, Watson perhaps behind the scenes a lot angrier about, you know, trades and, and decision-making there than we know, and I don't know that. I'm just I'm just saying there's a possibility that there's um, – there's some leadership through these tough times that they thought would be helpful. Yeah, that's not a bad uh, you know? call. And and also, I think sometimes when you see a player later in his career make a move like this, sometimes it's because you want to see what a guy looks like as a as a possible coach. You know, I mean, there, yeah. there's uh, the ability to position coach or you know be some sort of a a, a, a specialist to help them. Right. So, and I think he kind of already is considered a bit of a coach in the time that he spends with teams. So uh, that could be what what they're doing there. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz. We're doing quickies around the NFL. Uh, while uh, we see McCown on the move, we also see A.B., Antonio Brown, starting to settle in with the Bucks, getting ready to actually be able to play post-suspension. And he did his introductory press conference and had this to say about getting another chance. I'm extremely grateful to be here with such great organization, to be around some great players. For me, you know, first and foremost, uh, being away from the game a year and a half, just to see, uh, be able to be a part of the process and be out there with the guys today was a... Uh, Surreal, uh, some I don't take for granted. You know, some I have a great appreciation for, a better perspective about, and a lot of gratification to do what I love, man. You know, it's a blessing. Okay, so my question for you is: uh, Is this guy who announced his retirement at least four times, potentially more, uh, consistently torpedoes his shot to participate in a league in which he's very talented? By way of legal issues, uh, getting in fights with coaches, not wanting to wear the right helmet. Uh, burning his feet, uh, did, am I missing anything? Uh, do you believe anything that comes out of his mouth? No, and, and it's hard to. I mean, the messaging he just gave you about how grateful he is is similar to the messaging he gave you when he did his introductory press conference for the Raiders. It's similar to the messaging he gave you when he was signed by the Patriots. I mean, we've seen this happen a million times. It's never about Antonio Brown when he's feeling normal. It's about Antonio Brown when he's not and when you're mentally unstable and it appears from the outside looking in that he has some of those issues – you never know what's going to make him crack and how he's going to crack. And so, you know, I wouldn't trust anything that Antonio Brown says at this point. He is the ultimate version of action speak louder than words. There's nothing he can say that will change most people's minds because he said it all before and then still gone out and been an, uh, absolutely the type of person you cannot root for. Completely agree with you. Actions speak louder than words. The way he has acted in the last couple years has shown us a lot about him. And to your point, he has been completely volatile and inconsistent to the point where at one point, universally, everybody was saying, this guy needs help. He should not be in football. There is something going on. We, of course, have not uh, talked to a doctor about him, but from afar, there's something going on that needs to be addressed. And all that happened was we just waited long enough for people to stop thinking about that and instead think about what a talent he is. Very curious to see what this does to a Bucks team that was looking very good and didn't necessarily need him. Uh, we'll wait and see on that. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Little sound from Joe Douglas, the Jets GM on the Michael K Show. 
Look, this is not all on on Coach Gase. Again, I talked talk about some of the things that, that I haven't done um, well enough, and you know, we certainly all share responsibility in this. You know, I think um, when the teams attack our offense um, the same way, which I think they've been doing the same the same way almost all year, there's a deficiency um, that that needs to be addressed, and so. Um, you know, I, uh, we're, we're continuing to get press coverage. We're continuing to get stunts and fronts, or stunts and blitzes. And so, um, you know, we I, I, I need to make sure we have guys, you know, that can make explosive plays, that can be three-point shooters for us, and 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 have short drives. And so, um, you know, I, I've got to I've got to, you know, bring those those players in. Right. Um, that fart was our own editorializing. Fitz, is any of that something that you're buying, or is this a guy who's stuck in a situation where he has to defend the players, the coach, the pieces that he has? Well, I'm not buying any of it. And then the other part of it is in an attempt to protect the coach and the quarterback, he just basically threw the rest of the roster under the bus saying that he doesn't have shooters and guys that can get the job done. So I think you just made things more contentious in the locker room on a terrible team, and that's difficult to do. So this thing's really going to keep imploding. Yeah, I, I just I do think you're in a tough situation where you, you need to make clear this is not good enough, but you also can't throw people under the bus to the point where it's in you're incapable of working with them for the remainder of the season, which they as of now still need to do. Um man, there there's not a whole lot to be hopeful and supportive of when it comes to the Jets. Uh we are supportive of our next guest, a former quarterback, gonna join us and talk QBs here on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And Sarah, we last night spent some time going through quarterbacks, and I was allowing, like, we, we had everybody chime in and vote along the way. And I was stunned to see the way some people have fallen in love with young quarterbacks. So, figure with all the quarterback news going on, we should bring in some expertise. And to do yeah. that... We're joined now by Matt Castle, NFL analyst for NBC Sports Boston, former NFL quarterback, 14 seasons, mostly with the Patriots and Chiefs. Matt, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us on a crazy night. And uh, uh, as you look across, we'll get to quarterbacks, but we got to start with the Patriots conversation. You have so much experience around the organization. It has not gone well this year. You know Boston well. So what's it like in Boston right now with the Patriots team that is obviously not what they're used to? Oh my goodness. The sky is falling. The sky <laughs> is falling. I mean, you know, I've, I was there and just from a fan standpoint, it already is a somewhat of a negative fan base. You know, they're always kind of a little nitpicky, this, that, and the other. They love their sports teams. It's a great sports town. However, right now they're struggling. And you know what? You could see this coming into the season, particularly offensively with all the change, with the turnover. There was a guy named Tom Brady there. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was there for a while. And then uh, when he, when he left and Cam came in, I, I don't think that anybody understood exactly how this offensive structure was going to work. And so Cam came in and they started hot. But then the fact of the matter is they're a run-first team. And the, the personnel on the outside's really caught up to them. Julian Edelman obviously just went on IR with a knee procedure. Nikhil Harry was out last week, and he's a, still a young, developing guy. Demir Bird's their third receiver. But they don't have a ton of depth there. And the tight end's position hasn't been producing. So it's been a, a tough task, to say the least, for Cam Newton right now um, thus far in the season. Matt, I, I know that – Patriots fans are incredibly spoiled, but I feel like even they would accept maybe a, a, a bit of a down season as they adjust. How many seasons will they give Bill Belichick and this team before they demand that they're back at top? 
you know what, there's an expectation level there. And it's obviously been there for a long time. They've won the, the division 19 of the last 20 years. And I think that it'll get time. Look, this was a unprecedented year. You talk about eight opt-outs to start the year for that, that organization. They lost uh, Van Noy in free agency, Jamie Collins, Brand, Brandon, uh, another linebacker that they had, excuse me. And so they, they lost a lot of guys. Danny Shelton is another guy that they lost on the defensive side of the ball. Then you lose Tom Brady. So you knew that it was going to be a rebuilding year. There's a lot of youth playing right now. Their offensive line is the strength of that team, but it's going to take some time to rebuild that organization, to go out, get the guys that they need, particularly at the skill position, at the wide receiver position, and uh, add some depth to that unit. But you know what? If, if I know anything in the history of Bill Belichick, he'll, he'll figure it out he'll get it going he's the best coach to to ever uh, coach the game and you know what they'll figure it out pretty pretty soon here we're talking to former nfl quarterback matt castle nbc or now nbc sports boston nfl analyst so matt last night we were talking quarterbacks with everybody that listens to the show and we did a little we had a little bit of fun we basically said for the next four years if you had to pick one quarterback from each division to represent the division who would it be the most stunning result is that it felt like the people spoke loudly for Joe Burrow, 66% of the vote, while Lamar Jackson only got 20-something percent of the vote. I'm, sh- I'm shook by it. So give me, as a quarterback, as a former quarterback, give me your assessment of Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson. Well, I'll start with Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow is as advertised. He was the number one pick overall. He obviously had a great senior year at LSU. He came here, and I don't know what exactly expectations were. I didn't know if he was going to go through those rookie year struggles, but the kid's been phenomenal. And more importantly is the fact about how many attempts he has. He's leading the league in attempts and completions right now, which means they're putting a lot of pressure on this young kid to go out and perform every week. They're, they're in a ton of three wide sets, a ton of empty sets, which means there's no backs in the backfield. So the emphasis is the passing game, and they're trying to go up and down the field in the passing game. Now, he's got some great weapons there. At the same time, his maturity, his composure, his accuracy, his off-platform throws have been outstanding, and he continues to get better each and every week. And so, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. If he continues to develop with the way that he, he's been playing so far in this young season, it's incre- it'll be incredible to watch him over these, you know, over his NFL career, really. Now you turn over to Baltimore and Lamar Jackson. Look, he's one of the best athletes in our league, period, at any position, let alone just the quarterback position. He's dynamic. He's special. He was the league MVP last year. However, they run a particular type of offensive structure. And the one thing I'll say about Lamar is with his skill set and his versatility, he's in the perfect system. This Greg Roman system with the RPOs and the different run pass options and the way that they move him around, it's a perfect fit for Lamar and his strengths. Because really, his strengths, I'd say his strengths are more his legs and his ability to run the ball. And, And I'd say he can throw the ball. I'm not trying to take that away from him. There's no doubt about it. But it, the, the most dangerous part about him is his ability to, to run and go make plays with his legs. And you saw this this year. He, he struggled. He's taken a step back a little bit in terms of statistical categories. And um, he's been sacked a little bit more inside the pocket. His accuracy is down a little bit. Um, and it goes to show that I think defenses are starting to figure out and game plan this offensive unit better than what they did last year. And they're starting to understand a little bit of his weaknesses, make him throw outside the number because most of his throws are in on the interior part of the field. It's Matt Castle, NFL analyst for NBC Sports Boston, former NFL QB with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. 
What are you seeing from Justin Herbert? Because one thing that was interesting, I, I took the night off last night, a little mental health day, and Fitz did that poll with all those QBs. Um, the fascinating thing to me is how many people seem to forget that 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 Lamar Jackson thing can happen or RG3, right, where the, the rookie season might look a little different than once, once teams figure them out. Is Justin Herbert the guy that everybody should be saying they'll take over anyone else in the future, or do you see things that might uh, not be as effective once other teams get more looks at him? You know what? I think Justin Herbert's the real deal now. And, and the thing that I've been most impressed about Justin Herbert is his situation and how he stepped in, right? It, throughout the – they didn't really have an offseason. They went through their camp and everything like that. But he was splitting time with Tyrod Taylor, so he wasn't getting 100% of the reps. Like, where you go to Joe Burrow, and when they made this, the decision to draft him number one, he got every single snap with that first team, where Justin Herbert was splitting reps. And at some point in camp, they said, okay, we're going with Tyrod, so he's going to get the reps. Now, his first action was against Kansas City, and through I can only imagine through that week of prep, he didn't get any reps, but they told him right before because of the medical procedure gone wrong with Tyrod, hey, bud, by the way, you're going to play today. And he stepped in there, and if it wasn't for you know some late throws by another guy, Patrick Mahomes, to go in and, and take him to overtime and win the game, Justin Herbert stepped in and did amazing, and he's continued to get better. What impresses me is his arm strength, his accuracy down the field. He can create plays also with his legs. He gets outside the pocket, throws really well on the run, and he's been consistent. He's a smart kid. I think that there are some worries and concerns about him coming out of college, being only in shotgun, especially in that Oregon offense. But he's really done well underneath center, and he's been remarkably strong against pressure this season, which is always a big factor for me when I'm evaluating quarterbacks is how do they do when they pressure you, especially young quarterbacks? Do you make those bad mistakes? Do you turn the ball over? And he's done a tremendous job all year of really taking care of the ball and making the throws when he needed to. Matt, you have so much praise for these young guys, but I, I guess I feel kind of jaded because I've seen this with, you know, Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston where it looked good early on, or even Carson Wentz now. We're asking questions about his viability. So I guess what makes this class and these young quarterbacks better than the other quarterbacks that seem to hit, have hit a wall? Right. Well, you know what? It's the quarterback position in general, right? You've got to have consistency. The great ones have consistency. And if we're talking about their body of work up to this point, then I am really impressed through evaluating them, watching them play, and how they've reacted to certain situations that they've been in, the maturity that they're showing, the leadership, all the things that go into making a great, um, great quarterback. These guys all have it. Now, whether they can sustain that is another question, and the only time will tell. But like you said, this, this league – is a daunting league and from one week to the next from one year to the next it it, it can challenge you in so many different factors and you look at a guy like Wentz and what he's gone through this season and the turnover struggles that he really hasn't had throughout his career and everybody pointing the finger at him and also not maybe taking into account the injury situation that they've dealt with the offensive line has been in shambles um, and there's a lot of different factors to, to for quarterbacks to be successful at the same time you know these guys are off to a great start and hopefully they can sustain that Matt before we let you go we didn't talk about Tua. is there anything you saw in that game that gave you an idea of what we can expect you know what I watched the game last week and I couldn't uh, I can't pinpoint one thing right now I thought they were playing it safe. They threw a lot of short passes, slants, a lot of screens, slip screens. He didn't look very comfortable. He's throwing off his back foot. He didn't have to do much in order to win the game, to be honest with you. I mean, the defense had a big play. Uh, and a pick, was it a pick six that they took in? And, and they didn't have to score many points. But there wasn't anything that jumped off the page when I was watching the game last week that I would sit here and say, 
wow, you know, this is pretty special. I, it's it's interesting because obviously they made that decision to go with Tua in this point in the season, and I can understand why they did it, considering, look, we've got to get this guy in the field. If we're going to get him on the field, let's do it during the bye week. At the same time, watching last week, they definitely took two steps backwards by not playing Ryan Fitzpatrick in terms of offensive production, especially the way that he was playing. So Tua, he, he, he looked like he played like a rookie, and he looked like a rookie this last week when I when I watched that game. You guys can check him out on NBC Sports Boston. Matt, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us, my friend. Absolutely. Have a great one. Matt Castle there giving us all the breakdowns on quarterbacks. And, Sarah, we managed to have that whole conversation and never mentioned the Cowboys quarterback situation. Just when you (laughs) thought it couldn't get any crazier, it has. We'll get you the update on it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Just when you thought things couldn't get any weirder or more difficult for the Cowboys, it seems like the never-ending turns table, turns table, yeah, whatever that word is. Turn, what's with the thingy that you walk through, Sarah? Like was it turnstile? Thank you. Uh, at the quarterback position is <laughs> lazy Susan. Uh, yeah, lazy Susan. Like turntables? the lazy. Oh man, tables you know what? Have turned? Like in the world of the crazy <laughs> graphics they play in NFL games, like just all the quarterbacks that have played or will play for the Cowboys by the end of the year on a lazy Susan is I'm I'm here for That'd all be of amazing. it. Amazing. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And look, it's confusing to figure out what the Cowboys are doing at the quarterback position because we all know how they got here. We know that Dak Prescott obviously is out with a, after a gruesome injury. We know that Andy Dalton uh, took a, a terrible hit that put him into the concussion protocol. And we know that last week was a, just an abject disaster for the quarterback position. And now it looks like they may make change again. And Jerry Jones is not mincing words. And Sarah, it just feels like all of a sudden things are getting uglier on a Cowboys season that I didn't think could get any uglier. Yeah, Ben DiNucci. The Ben DiNucci game was a tough one. 21 of 40 for 180 yards with four sacks and two lost fumbles. Uh, They mustered up nine points in that game. They lost 23 to nine to the Eagles. Listen, this is a guy that was not expecting to be thrust into action. So it could have been worse, right? Um, And they went with a lot of trick plays. They tried to mix things up a little bit so that they didn't depend on him playing like an average quarterback might. They're now going to... Either Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush for Sunday's game against the Steelers, by the way, which is about one of the last opponents you'd want to see uh, in a situation like this. Neither Gilbert nor Rush have ever started a game. They have a combined nine thrown passes in their careers, uh, but they've been in the league longer than Danucci. So maybe their point is, you know, these guys have a little bit more of a veteran presence. Uh, Garrett Gilbert's been with the Cowboys for just a couple weeks, played in some preseason games uh, in his career. And then Cooper played a little bit last year and has been in the system, has worked with Kellen Moore a little bit more. Um, I don't know that there's any reason not to just throw out whoever and see what you got um, because Dalton is now on the reserve COVID list, right? So I was unable to play last week because of concussion. Now he has COVID. Um, So to me, Fitz, it feels like what do you have to lose of throwing these guys out there and seeing what you got? Well, the two things that really stand out is that, uh, according to multiple reports, they're going to give both of those quarterbacks reps in practice to pick one at the end of the week. So in a year where there's already so many crazy practice limitations, now you're splitting reps for your two guys that have virtually no experience to figure out who to play. That's less than ideal. But then the other part of it is I find there to be some irony in the fact that they're taking on the Steelers only because, remember, the Steelers last year would have gone to the playoffs in a seven-team seed, if that were where we were uh, last year, with Duck as their quarterback. So Mm -hmm. the Steelers went in last year with somebody we'd never heard of and still managed to put themselves in the playoff conversation because the rest of their roster and their coaching is so dang good. 
this is sort of that moment where if you're Jerry Jones, I wonder how angry you're going to be watching the Cowboys against the Steelers team that last year dealt with very similar issues and managed to still put together a competent NFL season. Yeah. Damian Woody was on first take today and kind of took that next step beyond just this season is a wash. Let's get Dak back and see how he is to saying, do you need to overhaul everything? Jerry Jones has to consider looking at the macro picture of the Dallas Cowboys saying, boy, personnel wise, we're not close. We might need to reset this whole thing, not only from personnel, but from a coaching perspective, because they are nowhere close to where they need to be as far as what they thought their aspirations were coming into the season. Fitz, I mean, it's obviously true, right? Even before the DAC injury, this team was underperforming, but there were high expectations. How did everyone get it wrong? I'm sure you could go back and you could find me some people who said, listen, I actually don't think the Cowboys are going to be that great. We're a little too high on the team because of some big names getting big bucks. But I'm looking across ESPN, CBS, Fox, et cetera, and, and everyone's got the Cowboys winning the NFCs, people with 10 or 11 wins. And that's clearly not what this team, even healthy, was going to do. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. And, you know, I, I'm not sure where we all got it wrong. I mean, the, the you look at the defensive side of the ball, it's been atrocious. It's been an abomination. But I'd say the same thing largely about Seattle. Yet the Seahawks continue to win games, right? Like, they've had great quarterback play. But, again, when you look at the weapons that the Cowboys have, they have so many good players. And uh, that that's hard for me. It's hard for me to understand how – Are you the, trying to blame it on the coaching? I mean, that's what it feels like, right? Like, right? Yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to get – I'm trying to pull that take right out of you. The coaching like, stinks. I see a lot of talent. How come it's working for other teams? What's what's the difference? What's the X factor? And, and they could have had anybody. And they went with McCarthy, and it just doesn't look good. I mean, nothing about it looks good. And and so I'm I'm struggling to figure out how Jerry Jones doesn't look at this and say, "My bad." Uh, that, I mean, that's all he can say. By the way, <laughs> uh, we got some news from Spain and Fitz Nation. Dave Schwartz hit us up on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed. Uh, we just talked to Matt Castle a minute ago and said, "Nicest player." football player I've ever covered Castle's a good one not not no doubt he was incredibly very nice. nice dude I met him at the Super Bowl uh years ago when he was still playing super nice very tall very tall yeah well he, he could go in and have better success at, at quarterback at this point than what they're expecting offensive lines that's, I, that's, that's at least a start now the offensive line is part of the Cowboys conversation and I think Cowboys fans would apologize for that frequently saying hey not only injuries but age is caught up a little bit faster they're not as good as they were a couple of years ago but Again, through all of this, I'm going to keep looking at Jerry Jones and say, okay, you decided that you were going to have Mike McCarthy over for a sleepover. No exaggeration. Crashed at Jerry Jones' house. I'm imagining they had a delightful breakfast buffet, and then you handed him a check and said, why don't you come work for me? Like, that whole process, now looking back on it, is like, well, was it the right choice? Obviously not. It doesn't look like it. And well, the play- Go ahead. And how much of a sale did McCarthy give? Because you remember, of course, there was like a mini documentary about him sitting, watching film, and recreating himself as a more modern coach. He might have just put on a cr- tremendous sell job based on nothing, right? Because there's not a lot that we've seen from him that's proving anything that anyone said about him with the Packers wrong. All right, it's time for the after party, Sarah. Obviously, we spent so much time talking about great sports. We didn't get the we didn't get time to break down the really important things, and that's trash TV. <laughs> I mean, there, there's just there. I I have a love for very very little TV that you or I either one watch, but 
there are certain shows that we both have an affinity for. And I got to tell you, the new season of Below Deck has started. And, oh boy. Uh, you know, they back to back these things. So you go right from Below Deck to Below Deck Med. So now I went to Captain Lee, and I'm excited for it. But the interesting thing is they showed you what's coming up for this season. And what stood out to me on that was the open acknowledgement that uh, that COVID is going to hit this. Like, in the first episode, a, a kid comes in and says, I got to go home. My grandmother's dying. She may not make it. And as they show you the preview of what's to come, Captain Lee says, I don't know what this COVID thing is, but it le- seems like it's a big deal. So I'm interested to see what it's like being on a mega yacht in the middle of the Caribbean as you try and figure out how to navigate COVID just a few months ago. Man, you sold me on that a little bit. I'm not going to lie. You sold me a little bit. I'm still not going to watch it because uh, Below Deck is trashed. And two times I watched it to see our friend Jamel Hill, I, I immediately regretted it. But that is an interesting storyline. I want to harken back to a different show that we talked about early in our uh, in our reunion here on this show when we first started doing I After Parties. And that was Dancing with the Stars because I was critical of Tyra Banks, who had taken over for the beloved Tom Bergeron and Aaron Andrews that we had gotten so used to. And I will say this, she is still not as good as those two. There was a very good dad energy from Tom Bergeron that felt very comforting. And Erin Andrews seemed like she became friends with all the cast members and dancers and had funny jokes back and forth and was uplifting and someone had done the show herself and understood it. Tyra came in hot and came in bad. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. She made some mistakes. She was critical. She was a little too fierce and a little bit not empathetic enough, but she's getting better. And in recent weeks, She's made some relationships with people on the shows. She seems to understand the show and the dances and everything better. And she's much more supportive, which I think was the thing that we landed on was the biggest problem, was when you're putting a bunch of people in a really uncomfortable position of trying something new, what you want is for them to seem supported and 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 like they trust that person who's who's being a little critical or at least, you know, walking them through their scores. And she didn't have that early on, but now that she does, it's a much more enjoyable watch. Oh, look, that kind of makes me excited. But I have to ask you a question about Dancing with the Stars in general, because uh, admittedly, I haven't watched this season. I'll be the first to admit that. But I did see on social media, you know, AJ from the Backstreet Boys yeah. uh, uh, tweeting about uh, his Roomba and, uh, you know, the, the what that dance meant to him. And I, I was sitting there thinking about this because everybody knows I can't dance. Like, that's just a, a natural thing. Uh, if I were ever going to go on Dancing with the Stars, I would never be invited. But if I were, Sarah, <laughs> how bummed would I be looking over saying, oh, so you want me to take on this guy that's been in a boy band that's been taking yeah. some level of dance? Dance lessons since he was like eight years this old. This comes up pretty much every time, though. There's always people where you're saying to yourself, okay, Johnny Weir is a professional da- skater, which is basically dancing on ice, right? Or this person is a performer versus somebody else who's like does a job that has nothing to do with performance. It's always going to feel a little unfair. But what's exciting about the show and what I've always liked about it is the people who surprise you. The people that you're watching and you're like, what? This person is even better than someone with a, with a dance background. Um, and so this year, like one of the best and most fun dancers is the Justina Machado, who's the star of, I think it's called One Day at a Time. I know that's also the name of a soap opera, but I think it's the new sitcom name as well. Um, and she's so fun to watch, despite not being a trained dancer the same way that like Caitlin Bristow, the bachelorette chick, used to dance. Um, and the guy from Catfish used to dance as a kid. And he's really great. Neve? Um, Neve used Neve. to dance? Neve used to dance as a kid. I had and no he's idea. Really good. He's really fun to watch. Um, so yeah, I think it's fun to hear because like sometimes a lot of times athletes will win because they just know how to use their bodies. They're very in touch with their bodies in ways that other people aren't. Um, so yeah, I mean, AJ McLean looks like someone who danced before, 
but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good at ballroom dance. And there's also plenty of people who have outshined people who have practiced before because they were never that good. They just did it for like whatever boy band or whatever they're in. So he's definitely not running away with it. That's for sure. You're totally blowing my mind here. And it makes sense. Like, I wonder how expectations, it's a little like being drafted in the first round or being drafted in the fifth round. Like there's just a different level of expectation. Mm -hmm. So having not watched this season, I know Carol Baskins was in it. Is she still in it? Was was it? No, no. Thankfully she was gone almost immediately. And she was terrible. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, It's been fun to watch. I mean, listen, it's one of my guilty pleasures. It's one of those things that I think I only missed like two seasons and I tr- I didn't watch it for a while and then I came back and I was like, it's just an easy kind of feel good on in the background. Kind of- Speaking of feel good, by the way. So um, while you were hosting last night and I appreciate you taking on the show for me while I took a mental health break. I um, yesterday I did 195 minutes of yoga. I took a 75 minute power class. I did a wow. 60 minute power class at night and then I did another 60 minute yin class. 30 minutes of meditation. I took a 90-minute walk in the park. I took another 90-minute dog walk. I walked like 14,000 steps and worked out for like four and a half hours. I just tried to never stop moving so that I couldn't look at my phone or the news or do anything. So I have not seen any results of anything. I am not going to find anything out until it's all done and it's official. And then I'm either going to be happy or I'm going to mourn the result. But I'm not going to give myself hypotheticals to torture myself with along the way. Because I knew this was how it's going to go. Early returns, mail-ins, etc. So instead, I spent all day in moving, and finally at 10 p.m., I sat down tired and f-ing sore, too, by the way, because that's a lot. That's like seven hours straight of exercising. Um, and I was like, what am I going to watch? I was going to watch the news, and then I was like, no, I can't do it. I can tell I can't do it. I'm, I'm going to have to keep the good vibes going. So I watched the Dave Letterman show on Netflix. Yeah. There was a fascinating interview with Ellen. Now, this was pre- the controversy would have been even more interesting after, but a lot of her background about abuse and stuff that I did not know that was fascinating. But the Lizzo episode, if you want to feel the pure joy of a completely unexpected chemistry, go watch Dave Letterman and Lizzo. It is just it's a delight. They both clearly find each other so delightful and it's just a really fun watch. So I highly recommend it. That is a incredible because what a great interviewer he is in general. Yeah. And B, it only cements my love of Lizzo, who I think just continually oh. reminds us how not only is Lizzo She's incredibly talented, hilarious. she makes it look so everything she does, she makes it look effortless. And that is mm-hmm. just that's difficult to do. And and you know, the number of times I thought when I first heard her music in general, there's certain people that sing so hard, I feel like when I see them live, um it, it's gonna be painful. And as I watched her live, I was blown away at just how easy it was for her to sound that soulful. And oh, I, she's I like, amazing so live. much respect for and, her. And the amount of dancing she does in a live show. Yes. She is nonstop moving for the entire thing, belting it out, gorgeous dancing, giving completely amazing, like inspiring speeches in the middle of it all with these, and then hilarious. She's so funny. Um, You mentioned people that know how to use their, their, they're in touch with their body. They know how to use it naturally. Like she is one of those people that as she moves, I just want to watch her move more because it is so, it's so intuitive and and natural to the way she's singing. Did you see what she dressed up with for Halloween, dressed up as for Halloween? No, what was it? I, I'm pretty sure this word's going to get bleeped out. But she was a, a wet ass. Um, she was a cat uh, that was made of waves, like a whole body outfit looked like waves with cutouts where her boobs were. They had a tail and ears and she's uh, crawling around a pool um, to the music. And she was also um, a fly that gets stuck in someone's hair.
there is no way that we can ever top what just happened. So that's <laughs> how we end. Go to her Instagram. <laughs> is all I'm saying. You need to go to her Instagram and see the fly and the wop. <laughs> oh God! Well, the the that, that's it for Spain and Fitz tomorrow. Be sure to check out the fly and the wop from. <laughs> Seven to nine PM. It sounds like a really cool cop show. It does the actually sound. Wop. It sounds pretty staggeringly good. Uh, this this has been the laugh that we all need and the laugh that I need. So Sarah, uh, here's to one day at a time, my friend. <laughs> one day at a time.